Welcome back to the Outdoor Classrooms podcast. We are here with episode seven. I can't believe it. We are here with Jenna Jockas, and she is a landscape architect who's going to be talking about nature play and sensory gardens, and she is incredible. But before I introduce her, I want to just note that this is an, another sneak peek at our Outdoor Classrooms tour and talk. We do this once a month in our circle membership. Therefore, the members are going to have access to the visual tour that Jenna is going to showcase her her incredible beautiful sensory garden and sensory path. So if you would like to actually see in the images and be part of our incredible epic membership community, hop on over there. It's a fabulous group if you want any other questions. The Information will be in the show notes. But without further ado, I would like to introduce Jenna. She is dedicated many decades in her career to designing children's nature-based play areas, sensory gardens, and learning landscapes, and also custom playscapes. Her philosophy has stayed strong. Children of all abilities and diversities from early childhood to teens need daily access to nature-based environments so they can blossom. And you truly capture that in this interview. Uh, It's incredible. (laughs) Now she's teaching parents, early childhood professionals, and educators how to build their own sensory-rich nature play spaces and learning landscapes. And she really gets into the seven senses. So without further ado, Jenna Jockis, welcome. Hello, hello, and welcome back to our discussions. Today, we have an outdoor classrooms tour and talk with Jenna Jockis. She is from N is for Nature Play, and I'm absolutely thrilled that she's here. I'm going to have her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself, and let's just dive right in. Welcome, Jenna. Well, thank you, Victoria. I'm so happy to be here. So a little bit about me. I'm a landscape architect, and for 23 years now, I've been designing children's nature-based play, learning, and therapeutic environments. And so, of course, nature play spaces and outdoor classrooms and sensory gardens and anywhere children in nature are, I just I, I just love so much. I've even designed a few indoor nature-based play spaces oh, wow. in, in Spokane, where I live, and they've been hugely successful for the center and the kids that are in their care. And so I do a lot of design work. And then through NS for Nature Play, that's where I do a lot of teaching. I teach early childhood folks, educators, parents, and even some therapeutic professionals how to create sensory-rich nature play and learning spaces at home or at their center or or wherever it is that they're working with kids. So that's what I do with, with my company, kind of have an online presence in that regard and courses and workshops and that sort of thing. Were you always doing nature play spaces or were you? Always. Always. I, I, that was your... I had the good fortune of falling into children's landscapes back in my undergraduate work uh, mm-hmm. when I was at Washington State University. So my senior project for my undergraduate work, my master's thesis was on using earth art to create play and learning landscapes. And so this was back in like 2002, 2003, 2004. And that was wow. before like nature play was even a term. And it was, I think, even a few years before Richard Louv's phenomenal book came out, um, Last Child in the Woods. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing this my entire career, and and I, I don't think it's by accident. I think it's what I'm <laughs> what I'm meant to be doing, um, yeah. and I, because I love it so much. 
So that's interesting. So it's not a landscaper going into, it's it's something that you've just always done. So it, it goes hand in hand in terms of what we're talking about this month, which is we're really looking at the infrastructure of outdoor classrooms. So we have uh, mm. five phases of teaching outdoors here that we look at within our outdoors classrooms community. And this is sort of phase one, which is infrastructure. And you are, when I think of infrastructure, I think of you. <laughs> so I'm thrilled that you're here. And so when you think of Designing an outdoor space, an outdoor classroom, where where do you start? Where would you recommend people starting? Well, uh, as a landscape architect, you'd probably think my answer would be with the space, right? But I, I like to start with the kids. All, all kids are different, right? And the kids in your care have specific interests. They have specific um, sensitivities, perhaps some additional support needs. So start with them. And how would you, with them in mind, and then you look at your space. And so when you look at your space, you kind of take a, a look at kind of the bones of it, you know, existing vegetation, existing trees, fencing, shade areas, sun areas, and all sorts of those environmental aspects. And then you kind of marry those two. And so that's where nature play is so fun because there's so many different opportunities to do so many different fun things that speak and reach to children of all abilities and diversities. Mm. And so I think it's a really flexible, effective, powerful tool to create really valuable spaces for for all kids. Yeah, I I start with those two, but I, I tend towards understanding the children first because they're so they're more important. Brilliant. Brilliant. For those of you on listening on the podcast, do not we have we are actually looking at beautiful, incredible spaces of Jenna's, and those who are in our membership actually get to see the beautiful pictures. So come on over to the membership and see. But I'm just wondering if you can describe this space. It's absolutely, and I've known you over the years, so this has actually evolved tremendously. The last time I think I saw it, so it's, yeah. Can you describe yes. it and what's going on here? Yeah, so this is a sensory garden I built at my own house. And I've got I've got uh, twin girls who are, are going on eight years old now. And I started building this space when they were two years old. Yeah. And, you know, when, when I was pregnant with them, I was like, spent a lot of time daydreaming about how to, how am I going to bring nature play into where we live and, you know, their daily, daily environment. And it, it involved into something much more than what I was thinking at the time. And so when they were toddling around and that sort of thing, um, I realized they needed something a little different. And so I went with, um, it kind of evolved into a sensory garden space. And so what you're looking at is, is our home sensory garden that it's intended to stimulate and engage all of their sensory systems. And so when we're talking about kids, there's, there's not just the five classic senses, sight, touch, taste, smell, and sound. There's actually two more sensory systems that are just as important in children's ability to understand their environment and to navigate their environment and to thrive in their daily lives. And those other two systems are body awareness systems. And if you talk to any occupational therapist, they'll, they'll, they'll say one is vestibular. Our vestibular system has to do with motion and gravity. And are we right side up? Are we upside down? Are we sideways? That sort of thing. Running and swimming and spinning and climbing. These are all vestibular activities. And then the other one is our proprioceptive system which is uh, uh, another body awareness system has to do with our understanding of where we are relative to our surroundings, 
mm-hmm. where our limbs are at relative to our bodies. And then, you know, the force to do an activity like pushing a wheelbarrow, that's a proprioceptive activity. And so I really wanted to create a garden that offered them as much sensory simulation, neuro, nervous system building activities as possible. And, and this has been so much fun just to yeah. watch my kids grow with this. I mean, yeah. the garden grows with them, but they, they spend so much time out here. Um, and I, I will say that it, it does a pretty good job competing with um, screens in our house. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, that's a gold star for me, right? That is a gold star with you. <laughs> but it, yeah, so, so j- just in the space, Victoria, I've got, it's fence, so it's safe. Um, I've got streets and roads around. It ha- one of the main features is the sensory path, which is one of the multi-sensory features that I absolutely love and that are in every design I do, including indoor spaces. Um, there's the nature loom right in the center. I've got a cozy space teepee. I have a mud kitchen kind of in this image. It's just starting to evolve in the background there. You see the water cans on the fence. I've got sensory plantings and artwork and just things that can change with the seasons and the kids can bring in new materials and do whatever it is that they want to do that day. And yeah, not to just, mention, you know, the sensory plants again and the edibles and all, all those fun things that yeah, it's that kids should experience. Stunning. It's just, <laughs> thank you. Stunning. And so a little bit more, again, we're looking at, we're looking at some more images, more, a little closer look at your sent, your sensory path, which has kind yeah. of become your signature, your signature, I think. I think if anybody yeah, is has. In learning how to create a sensory path, Jenna's the person. <laughs> but yeah, this, is, well, this is beautiful. It's sort of a mosaic stone. It is. Yeah. So my sensory path has log cookies, flagstone, historic bricks that were salvaged out of a, a road demolition in Spokane. So I got some of the bricks, salvaged landscape curbing. And then um, my stone mosaic is probably the different sections of it. There's an 11 foot long length of it, but then I've got it in a couple other places. Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of my signature piece. And when you work with a ground plane like this, and create something that's really interesting and textural and beautiful. It just adds to the magic of the place because my garden would not be the same place without this path. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out where to put mine and do it. So (laughs) I I will say, um, you know, for, for an outdoor classroom setting or a nature play space in an early learning center, don't make the na- don't make the sensory path the main pathway because mm-hmm. they they aren't technically ADA accessible. Um, mm-hmm. They take a little extra effort and coordination on the child's part to navigate because there are differences in elevation from the log cookies, flight right. zones, etc. Right. So make it kind of a little excursion, like a little mystery path mm-hmm. that takes mm-hmm. them through maybe another part of the garden that they can do by choice. That's a great that's a great 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 tip. And then you have uh, your your daughter here. Mm-hmm. And she's got sort of a very bright pink oh. ring, ringlety thing. How yeah, you're going to laugh. <laughs> um, you're going to laugh. So I got that at my mechanics place. Oh. That's a car that's out of a car. I've got um, really? six of them that I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was like, wow, yeah, take them all. <laughs> and then you painted so them this beautiful I bright color. Them. Yep. And they're just whimsical. Yeah. They're just whimsical. whimsical. That's a great word. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Finding whimsy and putting that into your outdoor space. Yeah. So again, we're just again looking at Jenna's spaces. This is of our little fairy garden. Yeah, yeah. So can you describe yeah. a little bit more what's going on? And sure, what- sure. So it's it's ringed with lavender. I've got mm. some some varieties of lavender all 
throughout the garden, obviously, they're amazing sensory plants. And my daughter, Alvy, there on the left, she's really into her imagination. So she decided that her special place within a sensory garden, she wanted a berry garden space. And so I had what, you know, some pots that I had on hand and we just filled them with dirt and found, we went to some garage sales and some other places and found some pieces for dragons and castles and these sorts of things that she loves. And so we just created a bunch of different little fairy garden spaces that that she just settles into her imagination quite often and just spends her time out here playing. I do have plans to have a bigger ceramic pots out there that a couple kids can kind of gather around. Mm-hmm. But this is this is what is what works for now. Um, and That's again, I love. I love that you said that because it is a what works. It's an evolution. It's never quite yes. finished. It's never, but it's sort of, again, what you said at the beginning was sort of following the child and it's really, oh, well, let's add this and let's sort of add this. And it, it kind of becomes a puzzle. And yep. then at the end, you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> Why you really have used the, the sensory path and really taken sort of sensory play to the next level why is that yeah. so important? Why is that so important to incorporate into our outdoor oh classrooms? It's a yeah. huge topic, but I feel like you you really have embraced specifically sensory play and incorporated that into your landscape architecture. Yeah. So a long time ago, actually, when I was kind of just coming out of my master's work, I started developing a greater understanding of autism and, and neurodiversity. And through that, so I've spent probably 15, 16 years researching and designing for children with autism and, and neurodiversities. And through that work, I realized just how important children's sensory experiences are to everything they do, play and learning, and all those amazing building blocks that they're they're developing during childhood. And so sensory play really comes down to there's one thing that it comes down to, and that is the health of children's nervous systems. Mm. And so, you know, our nervous system is our is our body's mechanism. It's our body's system for understanding the world around us, right? It's made up of sensory receptors, all of our sensory systems, our sensory receptors, nerves, our spinal column, our brain. And it's the mechanism through which we perceive our environments, we understand them, we interpret situations and and then react and then basically informs every decision in our daily life. So if you think about it, Victoria, it's impossible at any moment in your waking day to not have a multi-sensory experience. Mm. And if you turned off all of your sensory systems, the five classic plus your body awareness systems, what kind of experience would you have? Mm. And so really for kids, it's so incredibly important because once they are, they pop out in the world, that is their mission. Their sensory systems are on overdrive, gathering as much sensory information and experience as possible because what they're building is complexity mm. in their nervous system, complexity in their brains that they, they kind of are building up. I call it a database of sensory experiences that they then, the more they get, the more variety and intensity that they get and build those systems, the more database information they'll have to draw on as they grow into adults and they encounter new situations that they're like, well, this is totally new. I'm a little little out of sorts here, but it's kind of like that other experience I had way back when. And, and it helped that having that complex database, that big database helps them navigate through new and unfamiliar situations. And, and so it, it helps us become better adults. Yeah. The more sensory play that we can have in a child. 
And so, I mean, our, our tech saturated lifestyle is, is really starving our yeah. children's ability to have these deep sensory experiences. Well, and the so pandemic, nature, you think about yeah, the whole generation. Oh I mean, that's one of the reasons I started our secret gardens nature classes. Mm-hmm. You get all these very, very young children that haven't been exposed to a lot. So there's like a whole generation that's sort of missing this sensory. But I love what you said about the recall, mm-hmm. you know, providing just enough of an experience where they can then when they do go to school, they can recall on something. But because of the pandemic, those experiences were essentially taken away. So it's very interesting to talk about this during this time. And, mm-hmm. and then what can we do in our outdoor spaces to enhance that? Yeah. Yeah. And and I will say as far as the senses go, and if your your kids, especially kiddos with neurodiversities, they may have totally different ways of experiencing their senses and experiencing the world around them. So my sensory garden might visually be too much for a lot of kids. And so maybe they need something more muted and, and calm and that sort of thing. This, again, this was created for my kids. And so it's really important to think about sensory rich nature play. You need to tailor it. And that's why I start with the kids when I do my design work. You need to tailor that to your kids, especially if they have sensitivities. If they're maybe tactile defensive or maybe they're still maybe their proprioceptive system is still needs some development, that sort of thing. And so there are ways to create and nature play always has multi-sensory features, ways to tailor your setting, your play setting, or your learning settings to best support children's sensory experiences, no matter what they what they are. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting to think about how each space isn't necessarily con- conducive to all children. That's uh, no, this- <laughs> thinking of think- a different way of thinking like, oh yeah, that course. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's really, it's really mind expanding when you start to look at your, your play space through the lens of the senses, you get a whole, like there's this whole dimension of, of value that you didn't know was there. Mm-hmm. But kids know that kids know it's there, but it's just our adult way of looking at things. Right. But if you start looking at through the lens of the you know multi-sensory experience, there's so much more to nature play spaces than meets the eye. Yeah, fascinating. So we're looking at another picture of your outdoor space, a, a kind of a close-up of your weaving loom. And how do you because it's it's yarn, how does that work in the in if it's raining, it just sort of it's okay? It, oh, yep. It's okay. Yeah. So um, it's since come down. It's It's gotten all sun bleached and that sort of thing. But um, yeah. yeah, so I wove jute wine. So this is like an obelisk I bought from Plow and Hearth. And you can make nature looms out of all sorts of yeah. different things. So yeah, I wove jute up and down the various areas. And then uh, the girls helped me weave some yarn. Of course, I ended up doing it, <laughs> finishing it off because they were <laughs> off doing other things. But it became a place where they would, oh my gosh, I found a feather. We're going to put the feather in the nature loom or or spring violets. The spring violets are out. We're going to put them in the nature loom and, and celebrate them today. And so yeah, it just, be, you know, every day it's populated with something a little bit different, so but it's neat. just, it, it just helps children connect and they're, they can be so beautiful and it can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Blades just your planting. Yeah. You have the lamb's ear mm-hmm. and the lamb's ear. There's liatris, the purple spiky yeah. uh, butterfly bush on the left. The two narrow trees in the back are, they're called urban apples. They're really column, extremely columnar apples. So I've got uh, five of them along there in wow. green and red. Yeah. So much fun. It's beautiful. And again, we're looking at more pictures. So we've got sort of yep. your 
different paths and a digging area. Yeah. yeah. Nature play doesn't have to be beautiful, right? right. <laughs> Especially for kids. I mean, this is like the digging area on the left. That's just a pile of dirt that, you know, I've been doing landscaping at my house. So I, had, I needed somewhere to put dirt. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to put it by the sensory garden because I know the kids will want to be in it. Yeah. And so, of course, they bring over logs and whatever, shovels and tools, and they're just going at it and building tunnels and trenches and whatever it is. And it's just brilliant. You know, something different every day. Yeah. And then the, the image on the right is a, a springtime. The garden's kind of at its bare bones state. But this is, I always use this image. It's my daughter pushing a wheelbarrow full of water. She was helping new water plants, I suppose, mm-hmm. that day. And so she's pushing this wheelbarrow full of water across the sensory path. And I always talk about proprioception. Proprioception is a really fascinating sensory system. And so proprioception, I mentioned it has to do with body awareness, but it also has to do with the use of force to do an activity. So it's how our brains can communicate to our muscles and joints and ligaments and all that sort of thing to do an activity. And so she's getting, in this little image, she's getting tremendous stimulation in her proprioceptive system because she's pushing a wheelbarrow full of water. So it's heavy. She's having to use more force and muscle to do it, but she's also pushing it across a sensory path, which is not smooth. I mean, it's as smooth as it can be, but it's still bumpy. And, you know, she's having to use a little extra effort, but her, her little body system is so much valuable information. Uh, her, she's building her system through play and through helping mom. Brilliant. And so, yeah, so smart. So much going on. Talk a little bit, a lot of it about elements that you add to your outdoor spaces that inspire wonder and curiosity. Are there any others that you would add that maybe aren't in your kitchen? You know, I'll I'll list list off. Yeah, I will list off the top of my head. My, my favorite features. Yeah. Loose parts here. We've got loose parts all over the area, not just in the sensory garden. Fairy garden, again, in the image on the right. Mud kitchens. Are, and I know they're one of your favorites, Victoria. Yes. They are one of my favorites, too. Uh, one of the reasons is because they stimulate all seven sensory systems. And so mud kitchens, anything that kids can manipulate, move around, move the parts, use their imaginations, and it's not telling them how to play. So all of those elements I listed do exactly that. So they really become co-collaborators. Nature and the play setting is a co-collaborator in the child's play experience and learning Mm. experience. But I will say, going beyond the play setting in the future, some of the most important things that you can give children is just the space and the time to have these experiences. And in our rushed lives, mine included, I'm guilty of this too, we may not be giving our children enough time. Maybe 30 minutes isn't enough. Maybe they need more time to settle in and really dig into what it is that they're doing out in nature in their in their little space. So the space and the time to do it is just as important as the space itself. Absolutely. So well said. We talked a little bit about already about, you know, where your idea for the century path came from. So we won't get back into that. But this is the bird's eye view of your garden and specifically your century path. I love it's just so I if you're listening to the podcast, I'm telling you it's worth just seeing this, um, these images, because it's, it's just stunning. And you do you run workshops about how to actually create these amazing spaces, how to evaluate if you have an existing space, or you're starting from scratch, where do you start? How do you evaluate your existing space in terms of the senses, what works, um, maybe what doesn't work and needs to be modified or tweaked? where are those opportunities or gaps that could be filled to create as much sensory experience as possible. So variety, but also um, range of intensity. 
of sensory experiences like visual you know maybe there's a space that has a lots lots of visual interest to it and maybe there's a space that has some muted qualities to it that's a little more calm so again it's in context of your children the children that are in your care yeah. and how to tailor it it's it's truly how to tailor a nature play and learning landscape to best support the kids in your care and then i run some kind of tutorial workshops i've done some in person and online workshops on how to create a sensory path and you know for the in-person ones they're so fun because the people that you know whether it's the you know the teachers or the the, I've had principals out there working on stone mosaics and it's just so much fun um, to create something that just adds so much character and culture and beauty to a space and it's it's beautiful beautiful Mm -hmm. so again we're looking at more mosaics and we're looking at more of the pet different angles of the path love it so tell us a bit about your and then you've created this wonderful guidebook i have yeah so this guidebook just gives a kind of an overview introduction to the concept of uh, nature play and learning spaces as sensory spaces and it gets into each of the seven senses and gives ideas on sensory features that that stimulate that either stimulate or calm or soothe a child's sensory experience mm-hmm. and so for sight you know i go into why it's important in childhood here's some features here's some activities and so people can kind of it, it people are looking at it as can kind of pull ideas out of there to enhance what they have and then in the end of it i give a couple of kind of do-it-yourself options for i think there's a sand play uh, area, how to create a successful sand play area in there because there's some considerations for sand play <laughs> that's low maintenance and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's basically kind of the starter manual for how to understand sensory play in a nature play context. That's fantastic. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Talking, sort of shifting a little bit, we have the sensory garden, but then we talk a little bit about the actual nature play. So has that evolved for you over the years or what's your philosophy? Yeah, kind of the big, one of the big evolution points was when I had my own kids because they have taught me more about the work that I do than any professional experience I've I've had or will have. As far as my philosophy, I've got kind of an unapologetic philosophy that Mm -hmm. nature play and nature play or nature as, as the elemental, as the core is the most powerful tool that we have to give children the most fulfilling, meaningful, rich childhoods that they need to become better adults than we are. And that's always what we're trying to do, right? When we're raising our kids. Nature play, it is such a tremendous tool. It goes beyond just what you see when you look at it superficially. Because for me, it's all about connection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that powerful connection that children create when they're playing outdoors in, you know, no matter what setting, whether it's in their backyard or a nature play space or a public park or a vacant lot or down by the river. It doesn't matter where they are. They are creating a, a their connection with nature. And quite honestly, they do it a lot more effortlessly and meaningfully than adults can for a couple of reasons. And some of those reasons include children are closer to the essence of who they are and than adults are. We kind of get away from that, don't we? And and. Also, kids occupy the present moment, and that's where nature is. It's not in the past. It's not in the future. It's in the present moment, and that's where kids are, too. They're always in the present moment, Mm. and so they're open to that connection. And then lastly, uh, as I mentioned before, children's primary mission is to gather as many sensory experiences as they can in that magical time of childhood, and there's no more perfect source of sensory experience than nature. 
I mean, yeah. nature gives us everything we need because that's how we've evolved. That's that's how we we've grown with nature, right? We're a part of nature. It's just it's just anytime kids can be playing outside, they are closer to who who they are at their essence. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Well said. Thank you. Well said. It's yeah. I've talked a little bit about a lot of it about your do-it-yourself approaches to creating outdoor classrooms and infrastructure. Are there any yeah. others? Actually, in this picture, I see frames. I never noticed this. Beautiful pictures with frames around them hanging on your fence. I'm laughing because um, those just <laughs> appeared one day. I think my husband found them. They're like one of those velvet paintings. I was like, I looked out there and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> So they just appeared. I just noticed day. it. I'm like, oh, yeah. So, so they're out there too. Yeah. Um, they they don't look as good as they once did, but yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's the beauty of of having a nature play space is that you can just make it whatever you want. And yeah. it, I, I would just, as far as DIY goes, I would say there's so much. The people who are listening to this right now, you have so much more ability if you just just get inspired by something, right? And just start adding. And and it doesn't have to be big dramatic things like a sensory path. It can be very small things. Like you also see next to the framed pictures there, that's this little garden teepee. So really small things. Just start simple, start small, and yeah. just pick something that sounds fun to do. Get the kids involved. And it doesn't have to be some big expensive project and it doesn't have to be something that a contractor does for you. But just start and it and it's so much fun to create it yourself. I think. So yeah, I just, I always just encourage them. Folks just have so much more uh, ability to, to do things like this. And it, and I think the end result is so much more fun than if you pay someone to do it because it's coming from you, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's reflecting the culture of your place. Perhaps the kids are involved and then they get this sense of investment and achievement and confidence and, and mm-hmm. being involved in something so fun. So yeah, so DIY. I'm a big believer in DIY. Yeah, we DIY. We, we speak the same language. I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, I know you do. Speak yeah. my language. <laughs> You've done some amazing things, Victoria. Which just it's it just makes so much more sense. And again, what you said about having the children involved, it, it they they it becomes their space. They they have ownership over it. And it, when they're involved in the process, and and so much fun to repurpose things, and then set it, and then that becomes a whole part of of recycling. Yeah. Absolutely, or speak that language. Yeah. And again, we have some more images here. <laughs> looks like a different season. We got some. Yep. Looks um, like you were in the midst of, of building the. I'm I'm building the last little mosaic piece of the sensory path there. Yeah. So yeah, I took some some progress photos for some of my workshops, and and that's in the fall. You see the pumpkin there. This huge pumpkin we had from yeah. my cousin's farm uh, got brought over. We were having a Halloween party about a week after this. So yeah, and then on the left, my kids were out one morning. I always send them out in the morning, especially in the summers, and say, "Hey, go outside and, and outside. go find something interesting. Report back." <laughs> well, my daughter there, Etta, who's holding this little baby praying mantis, she found that in the little hanging tent that we had kind of set it on. The, it wasn't hanging at the time. We were just gonna, well, I kind of take it down during rainstorms and that sort of thing. So she had found this little baby praying mantis one spring. And they were just blown away by this tiny little creature and all of its uh, delicateness. And, so great. and when, they, when they can connect with something like that, I mean, there's so much to be said about that. Yeah. I mean, it's a picture says a thousand words. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it just you know, what they're thinking and the connection and that they're actually able to hold it and, uh, and long enough to take a picture, you know, that's and probably that they had to walk to you to get the picture. And yep. so that's pretty, yeah. uh, pretty happy kids there. 
So is there anything else that you that we missed that you'd like to share? Oh my gosh, we covered so much. I know. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I could talk about this all day, every day. So there's always more to share, but I'll I'll spare you for, for now. Um, we can do this again. How can you find me? I'm. You can find me at nisfornatureplay.com. That's my website. I'm on Facebook. So if you search N is for Nature Play, you'll find me there. That's my business site, and I talk a lot about. I have a lot of information on there about the seven senses and different projects and other, other things I'm up to. So yeah, that's, that's right now. That's where you can find me. I'm always happy to, to talk about this. If anyone wants to reach out and talk about more about, you know, creating sensory rich nature plate spaces, I, it's just what I love to do. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us as we kick off with really looking at the infrastructure of our outdoor spaces. And and really, it does not have to be large projects where we're hiring people. It can really be a lot of do-it-yourself. But I love how you brought in the conversation. It's such an important conversation about sensory. And to really look at our spaces and especially look at our children and asking our children and, and finding out and starting with them. I love, absolutely love, love that. Absolutely. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to more discussion on this. Awesome. So if you like this podcast and you're getting something out of it, if it feels good and you walk away going, ah, oh, the day feels brighter and I want to go outside, then I want you to tell your fellow educators, parents, and friends about it. I want everyone to feel this awesome about getting outdoors and all the possibilities for playful learning with children when you get out there. So if you are talking about outdoor classrooms and you like talking about outdoor classrooms and teaching outdoors and all the different possibilities, subscribe to us and leave a review. We would love to have you. Go to our Outdoor Classrooms Facebook page in our group our Instagram pages and tell us what your outdoor classroom challenges are. Want to dig deeper? Check out our Outdoor Classroom Circle membership community. It's like no other. Tell your fellow educators and let's start a little revolution about outdoor classrooms. When every child in every school has access to an outdoor classroom and learning gardens, then we will have more beauty in this world. Let's get creative and bring more joy into our teaching outdoors.